Good morning. I'm glad you made it out despite the snow and the ice. Um, it's been an interesting week, hasn't it? Um, if you have your Bible, if you have a copy of God's Word, if you want to open it to the third chapter of the book of Revelation, I will be in Revelation chapter 3 this morning. In 2014, Tom Rayner released this book. It's called Autopsy of a Deceased Church. And in this book, he documents uh, the common characteristics of churches that have died. Uh, it's, it's a quick read. I mean, you can tell it's not very thick. But it's actually very convicting if you do read it when you read the diagnosis. Uh, some of the symptoms should actually give us pause if we think about them. Um, the churches that have died, they would often place more priority on the past than they do the present. Uh, they would display this attitude where those good old days, well, they're so much more better than today. They would cling to the past. They refused to live in the here and now, the present. They did things the way they've always done them, and change, change was never going to be an option. Those churches would often be inward-focused. Uh, they weren't out reaching their communities because they were more concerned with meeting the needs, their own needs and their own preferences. Their budgets, they would be focused on the inside rather than the outside. And those items on the budget for evangelism, they might be a line item, but they would often go unused at the end of the year. Sadly, the Great Commission would often not be a part of their identity. No one seems to understand that, that we're meant to go and we're meant to make disciples. But we're often way too busy making excuses while we can't. You know, I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not educated enough. I'm not qualified. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm afraid to do it. And often preferences will take precedent. Everything in those kind of churches is about me and my wants. Um, I, I want the kind of music that I like. I don't care what you want. I want what I want. I like the activities and the programs that I enjoy. I want my music, my church, my desires, my translation, my needs. Lions and tigers and bears are mine. There are some other factors, but the truth is that churches... Churches are dying. Churches are closing their doors every single day. And there are dead churches that still haven't recognized the fact that they're dead. And as we look to, at the fifth letter to the seven churches in Revelation, that's what we see happening here. Sardis, it had once been this magnificent city. It was rich. It was important. It was founded in 1200 B.C. It's where the first gold and silver coins were minted. And they actually claimed to be where they invented dyeing wool. Sardis was the capital of the Lydian kingdom. But all of that, it was in the past. Because in 1780, an earthquake destroyed almost the entire city. Sardis, it was rebuilt with help from the Emperor Augustus, but it would never match, it would never rival the glory of their former days. Because for Sardis, their glory days, they were in the past. The city was proud of its past. It was proud of its reputation, 
But sadly, that was all they had left. For all intents and purposes, the city of Sardis was dead, even though it still lived. Let's pray, and we'll see what Jesus has to say to this church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we were able to come out to be here uh, to worship at, at this amazing time of worship. And Lord, I just pray that as we go to your word, that we sit and we do honest evaluation of our own lives, our own walks, and seek to live faithfully to what your word teaches. Father, open our hearts, our minds to your word. Help us be faithful in carrying out your commands. Lord, be with us this morning, recognizing that we've been in your presence. And I assist in Jesus' name. Amen. So Revelation chapter 3, starting in the first verse, our text reads, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now I want us to look at four things this morning, four things in this letter about the church that had a name but was dead. And the first thing that we'll look at this morning is the reputation of the church. Let's look at the reputation of the church. Jesus says to them, I know your works. You have a reputation. What does it say? A reputation of being alive. And I'm sure that Sardis, the church in Sardis, it was a popular church. It had a big name. It had a great reputation. And I imagine if you would have visited Sardis, if you went and went into town and asked someone, where is First Baptist Sardis? Everybody would have said, oh, yeah, they're on Main Street. You can't miss it. It's the big building in the center of town. They're just doing so much for this city. They're so active and involved. And their building, it would have been large. It was probably impressive. The preacher, he would have been polished. Uh, He would have told great stories, lots of laughs. They would have regular gospel concerts. They would have committees inside of committees, inside of other committees and committees to make sure the committees have their committee meetings. Because they're Baptist, right? They had a name in Sardis. They had a reputation. They had a lot of things going on all of the time. And having a reputation is important, isn't it? Uh, Sometimes we may have a good reputation. Some might not have such a good reputation. It's easy to lose a good one, and it's even harder to get it back. So this church, wonderful reputation, uh, popular church, big name. Understand that this church 
that Highland Hills has a reputation. Whether you realize that or not, it might be good, it might be bad. People might have an indifferent opinion and may not think that we're worth bothering with. But you, every single one of you here today, you have a reputation as well. People, people have an opinion of you based on your actions and your words. That's what people know us by, don't they? A.W. Tozer, he suggests that we may be known by the following things, and I want to go through these kind of quickly. You might not be able to read that, but don't worry about it. We might be known by the following things. First is what we want most. I mean, think of this. People know us by what we want. What is it that you desire? What is it that you're trying to achieve in life? People know us by what we want most. They also know us by what we think about most. What is it you daydream about? What is it your dream to achieve or become or do? What is it that you want to gain in this life? People know us by that. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus tells us, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. People also know us by how we use our money. People know us by how we use our money. Um, think to yourself, where does your money go? People see where you're spending your money. Does it go for things that won't last? Is it leisure activities? Is it just more possessions? Is it the vacation or the latest model of the phone? People also know us by what we do with our leisure time. People know us by what we do with our leisure time. Um, People see how you spend your time. Uh, Is it in front of the television? Is it shopping? Is it sports? Is it, what is it that you spend most of your time doing other than work or school? People also know us by the company that we enjoy. People see who you hang out with. And they're making a decision on you based on that. The people that we spend time with always affect our reputation. The company we keep, the people we hang out, it matters. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, Paul writes, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Become like the company that you keep. Next, we're also known by who and what we admire. We're known by who and what we admire. Who is it that you look up to? What is it that you're enjoying? Is it a sports figure, an entertainer, a politician? Who do you admire? People will make a decision about you because of that. And the last one, people know us by what we laugh at. The things that we find humor in say a lot about our character. The church in Sardis, they had a reputation. They had a reputation of being alive. But the second thing that we're going to see in this letter is that there is some rigor mortis in that church. Let's look at the rigor mortis of the church. Jesus says, you have a reputation of being alive, but what? You're dead. Now, it'd be sad for everybody to think that you're alive, for you to think that you're alive, believe that you're alive and you're actually dead. But 
that's what had happened there. The organization, the organism had become an organization. The movement they had started had become a monument. And they were dead. And, and we see the signs of death in here. First, the spirit goes. First, the spirit goes. Whenever anything dies, a person or a church, the spirit goes, the spirit leaves. And that is exactly what had happened to the church in Sardis. The Holy Spirit got up and went. Somebody once said, if the Holy Spirit would leave us, just up and go, most churches would meet next Sunday and go right on, never noticing the difference. Now think about that. I wonder if that's not true about most churches. They have a name that they're alive, that they're living, but they're dead. Because the Holy Spirit has departed. And all those people just simply going through the motions and not knowing. Now, a lot of the bigger churches, they have multiple services, um, you know, and they use a countdown clock. It's not for you to see, but it would be in the back, and they'd have a clock counting down for uh, the announcements, the music. Uh, everything had an allotted amount of time so that church would get out at the proper time so the next service could come in. Now, I read about a church where the guest speaker, he came in on Sunday morning, and the pastor and his son, they're sitting up there, and they're listening to him speak. And the son, of course, he knows all about the countdown clock, because once that clock hits zero, he's free. So the young man, he's sitting there patiently, and the man, this guest speaker, he's just going on and on and on and on. And the clock got to zero. Started going into negative numbers. And this man's still on his first point, And there's no sign he's ever going to get finished. And the boy turns to his dad and whispers, Dad, he's finished. And he doesn't even know it yet. I think there are a lot of churches that are finished and don't even know it today. The timer, it's run out. And they're acting on borrowed time. Not only does the spirit depart, the spirit goes, but as the spirit departs, the feeling goes. The feeling goes. Now, now that doesn't mean there's no feeling on the part of the people. People still feel. That's not the feeling I'm talking about. If you would ask them, they would simply say, we're too dignified for that kind of thing. But the truth is they don't know the difference between dignity and and death. It's the church where somebody comes and visits, and, and they're still alive, they still have the Spirit, and they're still filled with the Spirit, and, and they're sitting there in the service, and maybe not because of anything that the, that the preacher says, or, or the, a song or a hymn says. They just hear the word read, and they go, Amen! And everybody looks at them. And after a while, he said, praise the Lord. And then maybe a little later, another amen. And the next thing you know, an usher is right next to him and say, sir, you need to be quiet. You're disrupting the service. And the man says, but I have religion. And he says, 
And the usher just says, well, that might be true, but you didn't get it here. You see, when something dies, the spirit, it goes. The feeling goes. W.A. Chriswell tells a story about when him and his wife, they were on vacation, they went to a church. On Sunday morning, it was barren, it was still, it was cold. Uh, There was no life in that service. And after church, him and his wife, they decided, well, we're going to go out to eat, because most of you will probably go out to eat today. So they went to this restaurant, and all the people working there were college kids, and they were smiling, and they were laughing, and it was just a happy place to be. W.A. Criswell, he said when he left that restaurant, he felt so happy and so blessed to have been there. Now, and he mentions that they didn't give an invitation at church. He said they didn't give an invitation at the restaurant either. But if they would have given one at the restaurant, he would have joined them. One of the biggest dangers for us is losing our feeling, our sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. You see, when something dies, first the spirit goes, the feeling goes, and then the strength goes. The strength goes. What kind of strength, what kind of power does a corpse have? None. The church in Sardis was a church that had no spiritual power. The church in Sardis, it was simply going through the motions of being a church, trying to be a church. There was activity, there was motion, but the church was still dead. I mean, once you cut the head off of a chicken, that body's still going to run around for a while. The body doesn't know it yet, but it's still dead. It's been estimated that the northern star is 323 light years from Earth. That that just simply says that it takes 323 years for the light from the northern star to show up in our sky. The light, if you went out tonight and it was clear and you found the northern star, the light you see is 323 years old. That means that 322 years ago, or the other way, that star could have died and we are seeing light from a dead star. That star could have died, but its light was still going out. See, the truth is there are churches today that are burned out. There are churches that are dead, and they're only living in the light of their past. They have a name that they're alive, but they're dead. And that's because the glory of God has departed from them. I have to ask this. Would it break your heart to see that happen here? We need to be careful. We cannot rest in a reputation. We can only rest in our Savior. So we've seen the reputation of the church, the rigor mortis of the church. And the third thing we'll look at is the reformation of the church. See, the The Lord gave them an opportunity. He gave them an opportunity to reform, to get right, to get back to where they needed to be. He says, wake up. That was in case you were sleeping. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then 
what you received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief in the night, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. The church in Sardis was dead. But there was still, there was still a little spark of life in it. So he tells the church to wake up. He says, get out of bed, quit sleeping, because your work here, it's not finished. It is not done. And, and he tells them how they can do that. He gives them just two things. First, he says, remember. He tells them to remember. Uh, sometimes it's good to remember. It's good to look back and remember the past. Jesus is telling the church to remember what they received and what they had heard. John Newton, who wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace. Most of us, we probably think that he was a saint. Um, but John Newton meant it when he wrote the words, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Because John Newton, John Newton was a wretch. He was a sailor. He deserted the Royal Navy. Um, he got caught. He was put in irons. He would later be placed in a service aboard a slave ship. He was arrogant. He was insubordinate. He, and he would later write, I sinned with a high hand, and I made it my study to tempt and seduce others. He didn't do too well with the slave trader either. His clothes turned to rags, and he was forced to beg for food to survive. And during some terrible storm at sea, he accepted Christ. So he would leave the slave trade. He would fight against it. He would leave Bible studies in his home. And in a frame above where he prepared his lessons was a verse that he looked at every day from Deuteronomy. Verse 15, chapter 15, verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord, your God, redeemed you. Remember, remember who you were. That, that's what God kept saying to John Newton. Remember who you were and look what you are now. I mean, you don't know how many times before I get up to preach and I think, I can't do this today. I, I'm remembering who I was. And I say, God, thank you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for changing the direction of my life. I remember what God's done for me. We need to remember, but we also need to repent. We need to repent. Not by simply being broken over our sins. We need to be broken from our sins. Jesus says, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. Now, how many of you, show of hands, how many of you would be excited if you knew a thief was going to break into your house tonight? No? I mean, I'd get excited, but it wouldn't be because it was a good thing. Um, coming as a thief in the night, Jesus is talking about uh, coming in to break up, to get, take away, to judge. This is a picture of judgment. And he's warning this church, but they wouldn't listen. We've seen the reputation of the church, the rigor mortis of the church, the reformation of the church, and finally, the remnant of the church, the remnant in the church. Even here at this dead church in Sardis, 
there were some, there were some still among that congregation that were holding fast to the faith. Actually, there were three kinds of people in that church. There were the dead, the dying, and the dedicated. Jesus said nothing to the dead because it's too late. He told the dying to remember and to repent. And to the dedicated, he shares this word of encouragement for them because, first of all, of their virtuous life. Uh, there were some who had not been soiled and defiled by the world. He says there are still a few. There are a few names in Sardis who've not gotten their clothes dirty, who have soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. See, Jesus wants us to be faithful, no matter the cost. He wants people who are, aren't willing to defile themselves with the world. He speaks about their virtuous life and their victorious life. In verse 5, look what he says, if you still have your copy of God's Word out. Look at what he says to those who are victorious, who conquer, who overcome. He says, the one who conquers will be clothed in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He tells us that, that we'll be clothed in white if we remain faithful. And to be clothed in white, it means that we're set apart from God. It, 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 it means that we've been cleansed from our sins, that we've been made spiritually pure. Think of it, sin and evil actions and deeds, it soils our clothes, our souls. And Christ is saying, I can clean those away. I can clean and cleanse that sin away from me. In almost every pagan religion, it was forbidden to approach that, we're going to use little God, with dirty clothes, with soiled garments. So in order to go into the pagan worship, they had to clean themselves. They had to clean up themselves to go into their temple. You had to clean up before you could get close. And Christ, here on the other hand, he invites dirty, sinful people to come, and he is going to give us clean clothes. He says we'll be clothed in white, and our names will be in the book of life. The book of life is where all the names of those who have accepted Christ throughout history are written, because God knows who belongs to him. And at that time, cities, they, the, they had registry books. where So having your name removed from the book meant you lost your citizenship a city would also erase somebody's name if they died because you got to take them out. But for the citizens of heaven, death is not a cause for a name to be removed. It's the way you enter. And don't think that this text is saying that we can... that he's removing names because some people will say this supports their idea that we can lose our salvation... Um, it isn't a verse that serves as a threat. Instead, what it's doing is promising, uh, it's a promise of absolute security to those who truly believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. They'll be clothed in white, their names will be written in the book of life, and their name will be confessed in heaven. He's saying the name of every single believer written in the book of life Christ will introduce them to his Father 
and the angels. He will bring the redeemed into the presence of God and say, this one here, this one belongs to me. When a body dies, there's no more hope. I mean, we're gone from this world forever. But when a church dies, there's still hope. See, there can still be repentance. There can still be restoration. There can be a brand new beginning. Because there can be revival. Today, Jesus has his hand and his fingers on the pulse of this church. And I have to wonder what his diagnosis is. Are we alive? Are we well? Are we strong in the things of God? Are we vibrant? Are we active? Or have we allowed ourselves to become weak and ill? I guess the question is, is there hope for Highland Hills? No one can answer that question except for you. You are the church. And what you do determines whether we run the winner's circle or we're carried to the grave. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This morning as the worship team comes, even in this church in Sardis, that thought it was alive, but was really dead, there was still hope. And that's encouraging, that there is hope in his church. There is always hope for revival, for revitalization, for restoration, for repentance. But it starts with you. And the first part of that is acknowledging Christ as your Lord and Savior. By knowing the truth that he came, that he lived a perfect, sinless life. That he died a horrible death on a Roman cross. That it was buried and on that third day raised back to life. Putting paid to the debt we owe for our sin. Admit that you're a sinner. That Christ died for you. Believe that he died for you and paid the penalty for your sins. And confess your faith in him as Lord and Savior. And if you've done that, and you've gotten away, and that if you don't, that feeling's not quite the same, you just don't know, you're just not that confident anymore, today I encourage you to come this forward this morning and say, Lord, revive me. And say, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Make your desire my desire. Help me be faithful to you. Help me be obedient and going and making disciples. To put your priorities in front of my priorities. To help put you first in my life. The church in Sardis eventually, you know, the city was destroyed. But they left a lasting legacy. Because not everybody there died. They went and they continued to share the gospel. See, there is always hope. 
And there is always hope for revival, but it starts with you. You just come before him humbly, repentant, and say, Lord, fill me again. Let me be used by you. So as we sing this song of invitation, I encourage you, if you don't know Christ as your personal Lord and Savior today, to come and just surrender. And if you do, and you want revival in this city, in this church, in this community, in this world, it starts one person at a time. And it can start with you. Come these steps and say, Lord, revive me. I'm going to pray, and I encourage you to come this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you so much for, for, the, for what your son Jesus did for all of us. And Lord, help us recognize the truth that you've never given up on us. You've, you'll never forsake us. If there are problems, it's because we've gotten away from you. Help us come back. Let our prayer be, revive us. Use us. Help us be committed to the mission that you've gave us to go out into the world and make disciples. Father, thank you for just the amazing love that you've poured out on us, the amazing way that you love us, and the amazing way that you'll use us when our lives are surrendered and committed to you. Father, I pray for Highland Hills this morning. I pray that your church is faithful and committed that we're ready to do whatever it takes to reach those who don't know you. Help us be your people. And I assist in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.